this morning, I want to talk to you about something that we all have in common. It looks a little different for each person, but we all have it. Um, some people's this is nice and kind. Some people's this is pessimistic, sad. It's, all diff- it's different for everybody, but we all have it. And I want to talk about our perspectives this morning. I'm going to talk about someone in the Bible who had a pretty sad perspective on himself. Um, Sometimes we have really good perspectives about ourselves. Sometimes we recognize the things that are happening in our life that are good. Sometimes we recognize the things that God has gifted us. But then other times we don't, and our perspective isn't focused on the heart of God. So... If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. While you guys are turning there, I'm going to catch you up to speed on what has happened so far in this story. So Israel, right? They have a pretty consistent pattern with the Lord of doing something that's evil in the sight of the Lord, receiving punishment or captivity, crying out to the Lord because they couldn't take it anymore, getting salvation, living under the will of God for, you know, a couple years, doing something evil in the sight of the Lord, being given into punishment, can't take it anymore. They call it to God for help. God sends salvation because he's merciful. They live in, you know, good terms with the Lord for a while. Then they do evil in the sight. You know, you get the idea. It's a consistent pattern throughout the Old Testament. So this is another one of those times. Israel has been doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gives them over to the Midianites. And the Midianites are destroying the Israelites. They're destroying their crops, their land, their living. They're being forced to hide in caves, some of them. It's just not really a good time for the Israelites. And so after seven years of this, they cry out to God and say, okay, okay, we've had enough. We can't take it anymore. Please, please send help. Please, this is SOS. We can't take this anymore. And so where we catch up in Judges chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 11. This is where we meet the person that God sends to save Israel. So Judges chapter 6, verse 11. If you haven't gotten there yet, don't bother looking anymore. You probably won't find it. All right. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, And save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you, bring out my present, and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So let's just do a quick little recap. 
we meet Gideon, and he is threshing grain in a wine press. Now, I don't know if you guys get the memo here, but you don't thresh grain in wine presses. You make wine in wine presses. Threshing grain is something that's done out in the open because the wind is a really good assistant in the practice of threshing grain. And so Gideon is definitely hiding. It's not a question. He's doing something in this small, cold, dark, enclosed place that's usually done out in the open. Now, if I were approaching Gideon, I probably wouldn't choose the words, oh, mighty man of valor. Um, maybe just a personal thing. I don't know. But those are the words the Lord chose. He said, oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon right away turns to the Lord and says, me. Am I, hmm? Mighty, hmm? Okay, so basically, I'm the weakest in my family. My family is the weakest in my tribe. And my tribe is the weakest in Israel. You're talking about me. Mighty man of valor, me. Okay, gotcha. And the Lord says, but I will be with you. The Lord, God Almighty, creator of the universe, tells Gideon that he is going to be with him. And what does Gideon say? He says, if you're with me, why is all this happening? Why is Israel being destroyed? Why are our crops dying? Why, why are we being handed over to the Midianites? And God says, go in this might that I am sending you in. So two times now, Gideon has reassurance from the Lord that this is the call that he has placed on Gideon's life, two times in a row. And they're not really like gray area reassurances. Like the Lord told Gideon pretty clearly that I am sending you, go in this my almighty man of valor. But he still asks for a sign from the Lord. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash Gideon here because Loki I'd probably do the same thing. If I was hiding in a wine press, threshing grain, I was the weakest in my family, who was the weakest in my tribe, who was the weakest in all of Israel, I probably wouldn't really believe him either. So, this morning, I want to take a look at our perspectives on ourselves. I like to think that I'm more of a logical thinker. I'm definitely super emotional, don't get me wrong. But whenever I'm making decisions, I like to have like a three-step plan I like to have, like, a route that I'm going in. I like to know the destination. Like, I'm not really, like, a spur-of-the-moment decision maker. Well, maybe sometimes I am. Anyway, um, so for all of my logical thinkers, I came up with three practical steps on how to shift your perspective. So we're going to look, three practical steps, one, two, three, of how to shift your perspective. Okay, ready? Practical step number one, zoom out. Just going to let you think on that. Okay, step number two, zoom in. Step number three, get the picture into focus. Okay, sermon, dismissed. Have a great lunch. Just kidding, that was a prank. Okay, step number one, zoom out. You have to take your eyes off yourself. I say this in love. I say this in love. It's not about you. It's just not. And... In the world, that's not really, you know, when someone says it's not about you, it's usually done in like a snarky remark or like, just stop it, it's not about you. But in the kingdom of God, we should be jumping for joy that it's not about us. We should be so relieved that it is not about us because if it was about us, let me tell you, things would not be looking too hot for me right now. <laughs> if it was about me and what I could do, no shot, I would be lost, done for. But I can rejoice because it's not about me. Even though I know that, 
I still have to take the step and zoom out from myself. Now the Taylor family. We are huge board game people. We love board games. It's like a competition every holiday, every birthday, every long weekend, board games all the time. And we take them seriously. We love our board games. And there's this one board game that we play. We usually play it at Christmas because it's like when more people are at our house and stuff. It's called Cranium. Maybe some of you guys have heard of it. If you haven't, let me explain. There's a portion of this game where your team is handed a card and this card is a little tiny zoomed in picture, like microscopically zoomed in, like so zoomed in that sometimes you can't even tell what the picture is. And you and your team have like 30 seconds, a minute, something like that to come together, collaborate, and figure out what the picture is, like what the whole picture is. And it's actually sometimes nearly impossible to figure out what the picture is because it's so zoomed in. And you and your team are talking, you have like a super short amount of time, so like emotions are heightened, you're being crazy, you just can't figure out what the, what the picture is. This reminds me a little bit of Gideon's situation. He was microscopically zoomed in on his situation. He was so zoomed in that he couldn't even acknowledge or be thankful for the fact that the Lord was giving him reassurance. He was so focused on this tiny part of his life that he was the weakest, he was the smallest. Israel was in captivity. Circumstances weren't really lining up for him, but he was so zoomed in and focused on it that the fact that the Lord was saying, oh, mighty man of valor, I will be with you. You will strike down Midian. Those all were afterthoughts to him. So step number one, you got to zoom out because it's not about you. You have to zoom out from this tiny picture that we've been given. All of our situations, they're super small pictures, super small pictures. And we just have to take our eyes off of the small situations. Once we've zoomed out from ourselves, we got to zoom back in. But this time, we have to reorient our focus onto the heart of God. In this game, Cranium, there's a scorekeeper, and they are the person who hands out the zoomed-in card. So they get to see the big picture. And I love being the scorekeeper because when I get to hand out the card, I have seen the big picture and I know what the small picture is. Like, it's really easy to see the small picture when I know the big picture. And I want to encourage you this morning that when you are locked in on God's perspective of you, when you are locked in and set on how God sees you, it's a whole lot easier to see how your tiny, small picture fits into his big, big picture. Because he is a God of the big picture. He sees it all. He has everything perfectly orchestrated. And sometimes we just get too obsessive about the small situations, just like Gideon was. Gideon had a lot of valid excuses, but he was so focused that he couldn't trust that God had it in control, that God is the God of the big picture and he knows exactly how your tiny situation is gonna fit into this big picture. It's all about trust. And the incredible, super encouraging thing about trust is that you don't have to understand. Because if you understood, it wouldn't be trusting. Tr to trust and to understand is to know. But trust requires you taking a step of faith and saying, I have no idea what's happening right now but God, I'm gonna give it to you. I don't know, it's irritating, I wish I knew, but here, I trust you because I know that this small picture fits into your big picture and I trust that because I'm locked in on your perspective, not my own. Once you've zoomed out from yourself, you've zoomed into the heart of God, you have to get your picture in focus. Don't let your eyes wander 
once they're locked in. Because that's what Gideon was doing. The, the Lord was in front of him, right there, talking to him. And what did Gideon do? He said, And the angel of the Lord, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. Please, just look at me. Just watch me. Trust me. Know that my plan is so much better. Your circumstances don't line up. It doesn't make sense. But I am the God of the big picture, and I want you to trust me. There's a song that one of my friends used to sing. She would say, not to the left and not to the right, but I'll fix my eyes on Christ. It's almost like you have to ask for like spiritual blinders, like on horses when they're like drawing a carriage or something, the rider will put these blinders on them so that they're forced to look straight. And it's, it's like an uncomfy prayer. We have to say, God, I pray for spiritual blinders so that I will be so locked in on your perspective of me and your perspective of my life that nothing distracts me, that my circumstances around me are nothing in comparison to the trust that I have for you. Okay, so let's go back. Step number one. Zoom out from yourself because it's not about you, and that's a good thing. Step number two, zoom in and lock your eyes onto the perspective that God has on your life. And step number three, keep the picture in focus and don't let your eyes wander. Okay, so there it is. One, two, three, done. Get back to me five or six days. Let me know how those steps are working out for you. Just kidding. That was also a prank. Because, because, as much as I don't like to admit it, we're emotional people. We have a heart. We have a mind. We have a spirit. We have will. We have emotions. And I wish it wasn't this way, but they play a really big part in our perspective. I wish that I could just say, one, two, three, here you go. Consistently do these steps, and you'll be fine. I wish I could say that, because it would bring a lot of relief to this message. But it's a little bit more than that. My mom used to read me a story when I was little. And she read the story to me so much that I actually had it memorized. And I would be laying in bed at night trying to go to sleep. And if I couldn't sleep, I would just start reading the book to myself. But the book wasn't in front of me. It was just in my head. Um, just because she read it to me so much. And I didn't realize until I was preparing this message the impact that it had on my life. And I was going to just, like, you know, summarize the story. I was just going to tell you what it's about. But then I decided I was going to read it to you guys. So I have the slides on the screen. Um, so you'll be able to see the pictures because it's a picture book. But I want to read you guys this book. It's called You Are Special by Max Lucado. And in this story, there is someone who needed a major perspective change, and he needed to change the position of his heart on how he saw himself. So, story time with Eve. You Are Special by Max Lucado. Oh, there it is. Oh, this is so fun. Okay. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall, others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, 
the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmicks had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their head or jump over tall boxes, still others knew big words, or could even sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel good, and it made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, could do little, and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around him and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then, when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up to him and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves a lot of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. And after a while, Punchinella believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around the other Wemmicks who had lots of dots, and he felt better around them. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers, it's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied, every day, I'd go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill, he's there. And with that, the Wemmick who had no stickers turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear, so Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. 
Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I tried really hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker, and he didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided, oh, I skipped a very important part. Let me back up. <clears throat> I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. <clears throat> okay, let me just... So part one of the sermon, practical steps on how to shift your perspective on yourself. But now I want to talk about the heart of the issue. In the eyes of the world, but most often ourselves, we aren't worthy, we aren't capable, we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not bold enough, we're not old enough. But in the eyes of our creator, we're priceless precious creations that hold so much potential. I want to just kind of apply the story we just read to our own lives. We've all been given gray dots. I've been given gray dots. You've been given gray We all have been given gray dots. But I want you to think for a second, where have they come from? Has it been from friends? Maybe a family life isn't something that was ever good for you. Maybe an out-of-control situation happened to you and you were left with the consequences of the gray dots. But the one that I really want to talk about today is the gray dots that we give ourselves. Gideon had his fair share of gray dots. I think we have all established that. He was small. He was weak. He was hiding. Israel was in captivity and he was just one man that was supposed to defeat all of Midian. Okay. <laughs> no. He had a lot of gray dots. But God came to Gideon, and what did he call him? A mighty man of valor. 
The sad thing is to me in this story is that Gideon completely disregarded the encouragement of the Lord. The Lord was standing before him and he gave him a gold star. And Gideon looked everywhere. He looked around. He saw everything that was happening. He looked at himself, saw all the gray dots, and the gold star that the Lord gave him fell right off. He just completely disregarded it because, as I said before, he was so zoomed in on his tiny situation. I want to encourage you, challenge you, a bunch of other words. Um, Let me say this. How bold of us to assume. Okay, let me. How bold of us to assume that we, me, you, 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 all of us, how bold of us to assume that we can stop God's plan because of what we don't have? That's a pretty gutsy statement to say that I can stop the plan of Almighty God because I'm not good enough. Okay, (laughs) I don't think so. Last I checked, which was now, God doesn't call qualified people. He doesn't call qualified people. I'm not qualified, but he has called me. None of you are, I hate to, to, okay, if this is like telling you that Santa isn't real, I'm really sorry. But you're not qualified. If that's a shock, I'm really sorry. Didn't mean to burst any bubbles. But you are not qualified. But you know what the incredible, incredible thing is? That God doesn't call qualified people. But you know what he does do? He qualifies the people he calls. Let me just give you some examples. I feel like I'm going to fall off this if I just keep pacing, so I'm going to come down here. Okay, let's, let's just give some examples. Okay, David in the Bible, right? This scrawny little shepherd boy, he is in a family of a bunch of big, huge brothers who are definitely king material on the outside. But God says, I want that one to be king. Hmm, doesn't make sense to me. Still baffles my mind. Once he became king, he still wasn't even qualified to be king. He was lazy and didn't go to war with his people. Then he saw a woman bathing on the roof, committed adultery with her, murdered her husband while being king, while like fulfilling the call of God. Okay, no. David, not qualified. Okay, another story. Rahab, my absolute favorite story in the whole Bible. She was a prostitute in Jericho, and the Lord used her. He called her. He chose her, a prostitute in Jericho, to hide the spies in her home. And if they hadn't been hidden, chances are, I mean, God probably would have made another way, but in that, let's just, let's just you know, pretend for a second. Had she said, oh, I'm not good enough, sorry. I can't have men of God in my house. Sorry. No, I'll pass. But thank you for the offer. If she had said that, um, I don't think the story would look the same. But because she hid them, they were able to safely escape, and Jericho was defeated. And her family was saved. She made it out alive. (laughs) Not qualified, though. Not qualified. We have to take it back a second. Not qualified. Another person, Matthew, in the Bible. He was a tax collector. Ew, disgusting. Tax collectors, gross. No. No, absolutely not. But what did God, what did Jesus say to him? He's walking, he's walking with his disciples. He says, tax collector, come with me. Come with me, pal. And Matthew dropped all of his things and went with Jesus. Not qualified to even be near Jesus in my mind. I don't know about you guys. Not qualified. So, just to remind you, God doesn't qualify, God doesn't call qualified people. 
He qualifies the people he calls. And you know why he qualifies the people he calls? Because he loves them. His, his heart for us is rooted in love. We can't do anything. And like I said before, thank God it's not about us. Because if it was, I'd have to be working really, really hard to do super small things. But because it's not about me, I can say, God, I trust that this is all in your plan. I want to give you guys a personal example of an area that I had to shift my perspective in my life. So my class is getting ready to go to NYSEM, right? It's the fall of 2019. It's a good time. Something that I have struggled with for a pretty large majority of my life is pornography. It's been a super, super big stronghold on my life for, it was, I was exposed to it when I was 12, and from the time I was 12 until I was 17, it became an addiction. Like, there's no other word for it. It was, I became numb to it. It was consistent. It happened all the time. It was an addiction, and it held me captive. There was a lot of things that I planned things around just so that I could watch pornography. Like, it was an addiction. And when I came to Elam as a freshman, the Lord ministered to my heart, and he helped me break that addiction, which, praise God, thank you, Lord. He helps me break that addiction. And we're getting ready to go to NYSEM. I had my one-year anniversary of being clean from pornography. It was an awesome day. I was so excited. I was so happy. One whole year resisting temptation to the thing that I thought was going to hold me captive for the rest of my life. It was such a victorious day. We get to NYSEM. We're doing street ministry. I love street ministry because all you have to do is talk to people, and I love to talk to people. So it was really fun for me. But one night, um, there had been a lot of discouraging things that had happened in the last couple days, and I was feeling really angry, upset, sad, confused, frustrated, you know, everything except happy and content, basically. And I caved, and I watched pornography for the first time in one whole year. And I was laying in my bed at NYSEM, and I said, Eve, you are horrible. How could you do that? How could you throw away all that work? How could you completely discredit the grace that God has given you to resist this temptation and just throw it all away like it's no big deal? No big deal. I was so mad. And the next day, we were doing street ministry again, so the goal of the day was just to talk to people. And I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't talk to anyone on the car ride over. I got out of the car. I was, you know, just walking with people. But then I would, like, stray off by myself. I was just so upset. I was so upset because I had been so proud of myself. I was zoomed in on my accomplishment. I was so proud of myself. And it was completely just, it was just gone. It was gone. It was like I had nothing to be excited about anymore because I was back at square one. And I'm walking along. And I see this young girl sitting on a bench by herself. And I just wasn't really feeling like talking to anybody. She had headphones in. So I was like, if I sit next to her, she probably won't talk to me and it'll be fine. I sat down. She turns to me and says, hi. I said, hey. hey. And I uh, started talking to her. She was a foreign exchange student from Russia. Um, she, we talked for like an hour and a half, like a really long time. And I felt like we became friends, like not just like, oh, you're my friend. Like I felt so connected to her. And we just talked about life. I talked about her experience being in America, the things she was struggling with. She missed home. 
She felt like there wasn't really a purpose to anything. She was just kind of going through the motions. And I said, hmm, this sounds like an opportunity to say, well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Do you want to know about him? But I didn't want to talk about Jesus because, right, I'm the same Eve Taylor that watched pornography last night. I can't talk about Jesus. It's been, it's been too close to what happened. So I didn't. So we kept talking. And then my heart just started, like, palpitating outside of my chest. Like, I felt like, I was like, can she, like, see, can she see it? <laughs> I was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> okay. And, I, and just out of my mouth I said, do you know Jesus? I said, that's literally everything we're told not to do. We don't, just, we don't do that. We don't do that. But I did it. And she said, well, I'm a Catholic. I said, great, we have a start. <laughs> There's a start. And um, I talked to her shared her with her my heart and sitting on that bench in New York uh, <clears throat> in New York City with a girl from Russia I was able to pray with her and she received Christ as her savior and uh, and I got up from that bench and I would assume that I would have had the same reaction but I didn't. I was weeping because I had so much guilt and shame because I thought I told her about something that was fake because I couldn't even do it. I completely discredited this gift that God had given me because I was so focused on myself. I was so zoomed in on my situation because guess what? I wasn't good enough. I didn't have what it took to share the gospel with her. I, I was not qualified for that. It, was, it baffled my mind. I was like, God, for what? You could have done this like two days ago and it would have been fine, but you, you chose to do it today? For what reason? Ugh. I was just, I, was, I had such a hard time. And the Lord spoke to me. I went back to Nysim, turned on the boiling hot shower. Trust me, once you get there, the water is scalding no matter what you do. It's just like boiling hot at all times. I was sitting under this scalding hot water, just weeping. And the Lord said to me, <clears throat> for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, nor things past, will ever separate you from the love of Christ. And I said, ah, dang, shoot, okay. Ah. That was really hard for me to hear. It was really hard because I was so obsessed with my circumstance. I was like obsessing over, okay, what do I have to do now? How can I fix this? What are my three practical steps? There were no three practical steps for this. <laughs> there weren't any. I wanna come to you this morning in closing and ask you, how are you going to shift your perspective? What are you going to do? It's a long process, so don't beat yourself up about it. Just like in this story with Punchinello and Eli, the one who created Punchinello said, it's okay, you have a lot of marks. It's gonna take a long time. And the Lord is coming to you this morning and saying the same thing. If you have a lot of marks, it's okay, because that's not how God sees you. You're seen as a precious, valued treasure in his eyes. And nothing can change that. 
the marks that you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, oh, here we go again, just one more day until I can go to sleep and not have my eyes open anymore. That's not how God sees you. Or maybe the situations that other people have told you or put on you. It's not how God sees you. His perspective is the big picture. He sees you from creation until the end of your life, and it's perfect. It's precious. It's valuable. It takes time. Don't be hard on yourself. It's so easy to say, I did all three steps. Why is nothing changing? It's, it's hard. It's hard. But it takes consistency. God does not get tired of you. People do. People get tired of you. It's a fact. It's kind of sad, but it's just the way it is. But God will never get tired of you. You have to, you have to keep it up. And if there's anyone in this room right now that is looking at yourself and saying, I'm disgusting, I can't do this because I'm too small, I'm too young, I don't have enough courage, I'm not bold enough, I'm not strong enough, I, I'm, I don't have what it takes, I'm not worthy of this. It's not about you, and I say that in love, because that's a victory. To say it's not about us is a victory. Because I can take my eyes off my situation. I can put them on my creator and say, God, I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. And I'm going to come to you in consistency with faith that these dots are going to fall off because I believe that your love is for me is deeper, that your love for me is stronger than any of these things that I'm thinking about myself. The part of Gideon's story that I did not read to you is when he defeated Midian. This small, weak, scared, quaking in his boots, little boy, sitting in a wine press, defeated Midian with 300 people. Now, remember, he wasn't qualified. I don't know if you guys forgot or not, but he wasn't qualified. He wasn't good enough. But maybe I missed something. Maybe, something, maybe I didn't connect the dots right. God doesn't call qualified people. He qualifies the people he calls because he loves them. You have been called. Every single one of you have been called to something. It's different, so don't, don't lose focus of the picture, just like we talked about in the beginning. Don't lose focus because of other people's calling. Look at the calling that God has put in your life and lock into him. And say, God, I trust you. I trust your love for me. You have to become familiar with the perspective of your creator. It's the only one that will ever satisfy you. If you don't know the perspective of your creator, you're constantly going to be longing for other people's perspectives. Because we all, we all have one. And so if it's not the perspective of God, the one who loves you and cherishes you and has so much in store for you, it's going to be someone else's. And if it's other people's, it's dangerous. If it's ours, it's tragic. We need the perspective of our creator because it's the only one that will ever satisfy us. If you all will stand with me this morning. If you recognize in your life that you have gray dots, whether you're the one giving them to yourself, other people are the ones giving them to you, situations have happened. I want every eye to be closed in this room this morning. It's just you and the Lord, and I say that because this is a vulnerable moment. If you have gray dots and you're sick and tired of, the, of your perspective on yourself, I want you to raise your hand this morning and surrender. If you're sick and tired of the way you see yourself and say, God, I want your perspective. 
God, I'm desperate. Please don't leave this place until I've, until I've understood your perspective. And then just bow your heart before the Lord. Jesus, I pray that in this room, every heart would be filled with a trust for you. God, that it's okay that we don't understand. It's okay that not everything is lining up in our mind. That the way we see ourselves is not the way that you see us. You have called us, oh, mighty man of valor. Even when we're sitting in the wine press hiding, you have come to us and say, oh, mighty man of valor, I am with you. And I will lead you and I will guide you and I love you. Lord, I pray for consistency in relationships with you in this room, Lord. That there wouldn't be discouragement because it's taking too long. Or there wouldn't be discouragement because maybe two dots fell off, but three more got put on. I pray for consistency with you, Lord. That we would lock eyes with you and we would appreciate and know and love your perspective of us because it's the only one that will ever satisfy. Lord, help us see ourselves through your eyes. Jesus, we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us and you loved us with a love that's so deep. Lord, help us understand you and your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. This was a privilege. This was a privilege to be able to do this this morning. Um, thank you.